Next on BYU Sports Nation, in the main tent, the basketball balancing act of BYU Hoops. How has the latest addition to the roster challenged head coach Dave Rose? The Batcats lose in 13 innings to Utah. Assistant coach Trent Pratt is on the show, plus the ridiculous rally caps and the top 10 things that seemed shorter than last night's game. Don't forget Green Bay radio host Marcus Eversall. True or false, Jamal Williams will be the starting running back for Green Bay at least one game this season. Let's go! This is BYU Sports Nation, brought to you by the BYU Store, simulcast on BYU-TV and BYU-Radio. Now, from Studio B, here's Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan. Respect the cheese on the helmet. BYU Sports Nation is live. Your day-to-day play-by-play in Studio B, presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Wednesday, May 10th, wherever and however you dialed in. It is great to have you with us. I am Spencer Linton, teamed up with Rally Cap Realist, Jerem Jordan. I don't even know how to handle that one. I love that the cheese is in the shot now. <laughs> That's fantastic. Isn't it, though? Yeah, last night was redonkulous. Uh, for one thing, a 13-inning game. Yeah. For a second thing, it's BYU and Utah. And for a third thing, the Rally Caps from both teams, mostly Maverick Buffa, who's famous, I dare say infamous for his Rally Caps, they were awesome. If you missed it, here's some visuals. He's so famous, he's infamous. <laughs> yes. Uh, Mason Marshall, the Mantis, joining in as well. I mean, there were <laughs> multiple versions of it, like ridiculous tape around the head, cups. Uh, the Mohawks, Mohawks made cup, out of cups. Yeah. It's amazing. Amazing from both really squads. Then at one point, like... Maverick went Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. What is that? Wearing the catcher's protective gear backwards with, like, bats. I'm more impressed by the rally cap creativity than the game itself, I'll be honest. Well, when a game goes five hours, you have to find some things to keep yourself entertained in that dugout, right? No, it's BYU-Utah, baby. It is. (laughs) Full throttle. That's part of BYU-Utah. Oh, it, it it was a show within the show. And the game actually was very exciting. In the later innings, like there were a number of big time plays made in innings 10 through 13 to keep things rolling. So, yeah, five hours taxing voice is certainly a little bit hoarse, but Maverick Buffo and teammates kept us entertained last night. Of course, a guy named Maverick Buffo would well, tell be me the a better baseball name leader. in the history that- of BYU. Wally Joyner. Okay, he's the best baseball player, right? But a name. No, name. name. I'm just kidding. His name's Wally, too. Like, that's awesome. Maverick Buffalo. Snyder. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Jack Morris. Okay, Jack Morris is a good baseball name. Rick Aguilar. I'm just naming the greats. Never mind. Yeah, Jack Morris actually is a good, like, that's a good baseball name. Bring on the headlines. It's your BYU Sports Nation headlines. As we just mentioned, BYU baseball. Falling in 13 innings against the University of Utah, 7-6. That stinks. Great game. Josh Rose of the Utes hit a sacrifice fly in the 13th to give Utah the lead and end the Batcats' nine-game winning streak. Daniel Schneeman represents the game-winning run at the plate. Schneeman pulls it down the first baseline. The stop is made by Simmons. And Utah prevails in 13 innings. Well, like I said, it stinks to lose to Utah. But the good news is it doesn't hurt BYU in the conference standings. They are still alone atop the West Coast Conference and awaiting the Portland Pilots. 
starting tomorrow, opening up a three-game weekend series, 8 Eastern, live on BYU TV, BYU Radio, and the apps. Trent Pratt will join us, assistant coach, coming up. We'll talk about the game yesterday, but what's going on with the Badcats? They won 19 of 23 at this point. I mean, they're, they're still playing red hot. Uh, big series with Portland, as you mentioned. The regular season's coming to a close here. Two more series and then we're on. Plus the top ten things that seemed shorter than the baseball game last night. That seemed shorter. Yeah, shorter <laughs> because it was really long. Okay, So, yeah, that's coming up. It's day two at the NBA Combine for Eric Mika in Chicago. Eric Mika is one of 67 players expected to attend the Combine. ESPN quoted one unnamed NBA executive who said, I would like to see him go back and work on extending his range. Go back as in go back to BYU. He still has college eligibility if he withdraws his name from the draft by May 24th. Is that NBA executive a BYU fan? It'd be funny if it was Danny Ainge. <laughs> because I, <laughs> Danny's yeah. like, uh, yeah, go, I think yeah, we should uh, go back. Go back. Uh, yeah, go back. Break some records. BYU softball back to work last night in the final home game of the regular season. The 20th ranked ladies beat Utah State. Pretty good Aggies team, 4-1, to one, completing the second undefeated season at home in program history. McKenna Bowles, scoreless innings pitch streak, did come to an end at 57 and two-thirds what? innings. That's it? But BYU has now won 21 games in a row. 21! I'm just really disappointed with this team. They gave up a run. The Cougars <laughs> finished the regular season with a trio of games at St. Mary's starting Friday. They're so good. And today's final day of the NCAA Women's Regional in Lubbock, Texas. BYU tied for eighth place. Remember the top six advance at 19 over par, but they're off to a hot start shooting three under par on the day. Nice. Top six advances mentioned. Alex White leads the Cougars at two under par, which is good enough for a fifth place tie. Brooklyn Hawker, three over. Tied for 21st through 5. Kendra Dalton playing strong as well. Four under uh, under par. Wow. Her at eight over for the tournament. Tied for 45th. Remember, you can qualify as an individual as well. But BYU women's golf needs to finish in the top six to advance. And they are on the course right now. They're on hole fives, holes five through eight as we speak. Now in eighth place. Now let's go, ladies. Rise and shout. Time for What's Trending brought to you by Ahern Rentals. Your next job is our priority. You're talking about it, and so are we. It's What's Trending on BYU Sports Nation. Basketball balancing act. Head coach Dave Rose and BYU basketball walk an annual tightrope of dealing with unexpected change. Missionaries coming and going, transfers exiting and entering, red shirts. The guy has a spreadsheet that looks out essentially a decade Because of the setup at BYU, there are several respected media members in the college basketball community, namely Andy Katz, Jeff Goodman, and Doug Gottlieb, that have all talked about Dave Rose's unique challenge, one of the toughest coaching jobs in college basketball. The fact that he wins 25 games a year dealing with all of this is amazing. And once again, he's got a complicated puzzle to solve this offseason. Sure, he can piece it together and make it look great today. But the reality is he could have it flipped upside down again, depending on what Eric Mika does, if he goes to the NBA or not. Now, while Coach Rose of BYU Sports Nation weighed on that, he does have one more solid piece of that puzzle in place now. The announcement that junior college transfer point guard Jasheer Hardnett will join the squad and have three years to play. This adds a new flavor to the guards at BYU and that backcourt. Our Twitter question today is this. What are your expectations for next year's BYU Hoops backcourt? The conversation a year ago was very different. So, yeah, let's have it today. At Nelvin Wilson 7, P5, good. Inexperience will not be an issue this time around. Backcourt will be stronger physically and mentally heading into 2017 18. 
Okay, before we dive into just what makes up the backcourt, let's talk a little bit about Jasheer Hardnett. He is the new guy in that BYU basketball backcourt. And as you brought up this morning, Jerem, which I thought was a fantastic point, he is the kind of player that has given BYU fits in the recent past because of his skill set. Quick guard that can uh, create matchup problems offensively one-on-one. Obviously, we talked about it yesterday, but a 60-point shooter from two, that means he gets to the rim. Strong left hand. Uh, Also, having a lefty is just a different dynamic, right, defensively, because there's not as many guys. 43% shooter. I always love 43% three-point shooters. Three-point shooters, I love that. Hopefully, defensively, he can bring a little... Spice as well to that. Obviously, BYU uh, needs some good defense. So I'm, I'm excited for it. And he's not a guy that's going to have to come in and start right away. There's not this huge need because BYU returns three guys plus Zach Selyus. So Ryland Bergerson, uh, Jasheer Hardnett, uh, they can come in and ease their way into the lineup as backups, at least initially. Now, former assistant basketball coach BYU, Terry Nashif, was quick to point out on Twitter and I quote him, I like this. He can really go. He's a speed guy, quickness guy, and, and the left-handed dynamic. It's just new. You're right. It is a new thing for BYU basketball to have a player like Hardnet in with this backcourt. But what's the makeup of the backcourt roster now with Hardnet in play? Like, how does this change everything? we got to look at what BYU brings back, right? I'm not sure it changes a lot, but let Okay, so you return Emery, Haas, and Bryant. Those are probably your starters, okay? Zach Selyus changes everything for me um, with the depth because now here's a guy who you could start at the four if you wanted to go small, depending on matchups. And in the West Coast Conference, you can do that against just about everybody but Gonzaga and St. Mary's if you want. So it's nice to have Emery, Haas, Bryant, guy, all guys that have gone for 30-plus in the game. We know what they can do, and it's awesome to have – a junior, a sophomore, and a junior. Now you look behind him. Zach Selyus is the game changer, okay? 50% three-point shooter. You could start him if you want. If not, you bring him off the bench. He's going to light it up, okay? Recovering from shoulder surgery. There's always questions. And he's not just automatically going to be A-plus at the start of the season. Uh, he came off his mission because of an injury. Like, let's give him a sec. Ryland Bergerson. Good length. Late bloomer. Prep school. BYU got him in April. He has time to develop. And then, and then harden it. At that point, and of course, Zach Frampton, who later in the season showed a little little spark off the bench defensively. Are you more confident in the backcourt as it is made up now than you were with the makeup of last year's backcourt? Yes, because you're not asking walk-ons to be scholarship players and contribute right away. Like Stephen Bayo and Davin Gwynn. Yeah, who, I thought Davin Gwynn did a really good job. Stephen Bayo, uh, you know, is choosing to transfer, so we, we'll see how his career plays out. Um, I, I think Zach Selyus changes the game for BYU just by himself, let alone what Hardnett and Bergerson can do in Frampton. So now you have six scholarship players in the backcourt, seven uh, with the walk-on Frampton players. It's interesting that you don't have more players in the backcourt than the frontcourt, given the fact that BYU plays three or four backcourt players at a time. The fact that BYU brings back Nick Emery, TJ Hawes, Elijah Bryant, and Zach Selyus. I like that. All together, just those four alone should make Dave Rose and the staff and us here in Studio B feel like the Cougars have one of the better backcourts, at least in the West Coast Conference, right? Experience yeah. should make this team better. Uh, yeah, it can. Yeah, they were the least experienced BYU basketball team in history. They had never started 
five underclassmen before. Not to mention health issues for Elijah Bryant. So just to have him healthy. Get healthy, yeah. Get healthy. Zach Selyus, get healthy with that shoulder surgery. And things, I think, are looking up. And and who knows? Like Hartnett and Bergerson, the pressure for them to come in right away and step up and have to – it's not there. Not there. It's not there. And that's a good thing. Give them time to acclimate. Now, the thing is, the backcourt is not the only kind of big-time changeover. Like, you look at the frontcourt, too. There are a bunch of new guys coming back. That's not today's conversation. But overall, this is a new-look team for BYU basketball, which brings us to our stat of the day. It's the BYU Sports Nation stat of the day. Six of the 13 scholarship players didn't play on last year's team. So that, that front court, Dastrip, Shaw, Mika, question mark, Childs are your returners. Nixon, Andrus, Worthington back from mission. So three new in the back court, three new in the front court. And then potentially, I mean, there could be seven of the 13 that didn't play last year if, if Mika bounces. What other coach? Then BYU would probably need to add somebody unless they just put Frampton on scholarship. What other head coach deals with this on an annual basis? It's by choice. Let's I know, I that. know that, yeah. but I'm just saying it is. It's part of the gig, right? It's yeah. just a huge and challenge. You're expecting Connor Harding to go out on his mission and not come back and then go back out, right? You're expecting Zach Sellers to go for two years. So that that Dave Rose one time said the hardest thing is when the missionary plans change. Yes. That's what I'm talking about. You piece the puzzle t- together, and then it can yeah. be flipped upside down. Granted, Connor Harding wasn't going to play on this team, but that and Zach Selye, it's like it's just different, and you have to deal with stuff. But every year you have the attrition of two or three players that leave for some reason, that transfer. It's just how it is now. What are your expectations for next year's BYU Hoops backcourt? At CL underscore living says, more defense, fewer turnovers. That would be a nice start. More ingredients, Papa John's. Marcus Eversall, Sports Talk Radio host in Green Bay, will join us next. What's the initial media impression of Jamal Williams and Taysom Hill? What's Trending on BYU Sports Nation is brought to you by Ahern Rental. Your next job is our priority. BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Use the hashtag BYUSN, BYU Sports Nation simulcast on BYU TV and BYU Radio. Our conversation happening right now on Twitter. If you don't already, follow at BYU Sports Nation and get involved in today's Twitter conversation. Do it! Hey, baseball plays Portland tomorrow. It's the final homestand for the Batcats. It's on BYU TV, BYU Radio, and the app starting tomorrow. 8 Eastern time against Portland Pilots, who just beat the Oregon Ducks yesterday. They get, the Oregon gave BYU a hard time earlier this year. So Portland has struggled in conference. That could be a more interesting series, maybe. What are your expectations for next year's BYU basketball backcourt? This with the addition of Jasheer Hardnett, junior college transfer from Chipola College in Florida. Totally. At R. Greenhaw says, overall excited about the backcourt. Having Zach Selyus back will be huge. He can play great defense and can hit the three. How will his shoulder surgery affect that? Hoping for a speedy recovery from the sharp shooting Selyus. Joining us now on the Deseret First Credit Union hotline is Marcus Eversall, a sports talk radio host at WDUZ, the fan in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Marcus, welcome to BYU Sports Nation. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. We want to know what the Green Bay media's initial impression of two of the most beloved BYU football athletes in the annals of Cougar football, Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams, is like right now. Well, let's talk about Jamal Williams first. He was a guy kind of on my radar leading up to the draft because the Packers had a glaring need at running back, and they don't typically draft running backs that high. 
So when you're looking at guys like Leonard Fournette and Christian McCaffrey, Dalvin Cook, you know the names. They would fit in Green Bay, but just based on their history, they don't like taking running backs that high. So I'm looking at mid-round guys that might be able to come in and be productive. And from an offensive fit standpoint, with what Jamal Williams has experienced in as far as pass protection and obviously with Aaron Rodgers here in Green Bay, that's paramount. You're not going to get on the field if you can't protect the quarterback. He was a guy, and just his story and everything that I'm sure we'll get into, he was a guy that really intrigued me, and I was happy to see the Packers pick him in the fourth round. He's got a chance to be an impact player right away in year one. And then Taysom Hill, that's interesting, too, because, I mean, athletically, the guy's off the charts, as you guys know better than anybody. I mean, he's a big dude, but really, really fast, and athletically tests even better than Jamal Williams does. So this is a place here in Green Bay where Mike McCarthy has schooled a lot of quarterbacks over the years. And to really transform their careers into that next stratosphere. And at Taysom Hill, this is probably the per- perfect place for him to land. I know we have Brady Papinga on our airwaves a lot, former BYU guy and Green Bay Packer, and he was pumping the, you know, pumping that up leading up to the draft, saying Green Bay be the perfect spot for Taysom Hill just to develop and really show that he can be a quarterback at the NFL level. If there's one place that could jumpstart his career, it's probably here in Green Bay. Yeah, we had him on after, and he was adamant about that same thing. Hey, perfect fit, perfect fit. And, of course, the, the former Packer would scream perfect fit for the Packers, of course. Of course. Um, what, what are your initial impressions from what you've seen on the field, off the field, of both of these guys, maybe, maybe their personality and a little bit of the skill set? Yeah, well, the skill set, I mean, on the field, I'm be completely honest with you, without being in pads and kind of just going through stuff, half speed and all that, not a whole lot to take away on the field, but I remember – a couple of specific instances, just to give you an example. I mean, they're, you're kind of going half speed or three-quarter speed, whatever, but Jamal Williams was not. I mean, he's going 100%, finishing every run, running it through the end zone, doing his thing, you know, break dancing to the music between <laughs> periods and all that. And, yeah, we're happy <laughs> to hear that's continuing. <laughs> yeah, right. That sounds like nothing new for him. But And then just getting into the locker room, that's what stood out to me as far as first impression. The Packers had a really interesting personality in Eddie Lacy. Not to say he didn't care, because I don't think you can get to the NFL level or get to a professional level of any sport and not care about that particular sport. But Lacey was a little different in that he he's not the biggest fan of football. He flat out admit he didn't he doesn't watch football in his free time. We all know with his weight fluctuating up and down, and you know, frankly, showing up pretty out of shape before last uh, before his third season. Jamal Williams is also an interesting personality, but with none of those other concerns as far as, you know, getting out of shape or kind of not really having a love for the game. From all accounts, Jamal Williams loves the game, and he brings a ton of personality into that locker room. Lacey was a go-to guy for the media because he would say some things that were kind of a little off the rails, something maybe you didn't get from other guys but it was more so just indifferent to everything. Like, it's not that big a deal. It's all good kind of thing. Jamal Williams, everything you ask him, it's like, that's the coolest thing he's ever heard about. Like, he was <laughs> raving about the, the gate opening up to the stadium. It was incredible. And he's like, oh, man, I can't meet to meet Aaron Rodgers. Like, I play with him on Madden all the time. And I <laughs> see his commercials and all that. So I can already tell from just one interaction, Jamal Williams is going to be a go-to guy in that Packers locker room. Follow him at Marcus Eversall on the Twitter machine, Sports Talk Radio host at WDUZ in Green Bay, talking about Taysom Hill and Jamal Williams and how they fit with the Packers. Green Bay's head coach Mike McCarthy said the following, and I quote, Taysom Hill belongs. What kind of a shot do you feel Taysom Hill has to be, I don't know, a practice squad quarterback or better on this specific team? 
I think he's got a good chance to be a practice squad quarterback for the Packers. It's an interesting conversation because last year there was kind of a preseason darling, if you will. The Packers have a third-string guy, Joe Callahan, from a small school, and he got away for a little bit. They had to make a roster move, and McCarthy never speaks openly about, like, you know, regretting letting some guy walk. But the decision had to be made. They let Callahan go. He ended up with New Orleans, came back, and, you know, he's still the number three guy. And, of course, Brett Hundley is the number two. But this kind of thing happens with the Packers where they'll bring in a project like this, if you want to call Taysom Hill a project. And they have this thing, McCarthy calls it his quarterback school, leading up to, like, mini camps and training camps. They just keep him there and just dive into the playbook and show him what, you know, the ins and outs of the offense from the quarterback's perspective. And Aaron Rodgers still does it. And it's helped Brett Hundley tremendously. Joe Callahan, the number three guy, I think, fits into that conversation too. But something to keep an eye on, you know, with the aforementioned Hundley, during the draft there were reports that the Packers were dangling him out there for trade talks and couldn't quite get what they wanted in return. But it's getting to that point of Hundley's career where, you know, it's your third season, you only want to stand and watch too long. And Hundley will be the first person to tell you he's learned a lot from watching Aaron Rodgers and learning under Mike McCarthy. But if they make one move at that position, then all of a sudden you're talking about a guy like a Taysom Hill going from a practice squad guy to a number three or a number three to a number two. So they've got the position in good hands right now. But one thing changes, and all of a sudden that guy might be counted upon on a Sunday. I mean, it's not out of the realm of possibility. Give us an idea of what the running back situation is because you've got Ty Montgomery. Is he still going to play running back? Kristen Michael was cut. Now you draft three, Green Bay drafts three running backs. So how much run do you think Jamal Williams could get given the situation going on right now? I mean, I'm not just saying this because I'm on with you guys from the BYU perspective, but I would not be surprised at all if at some point, even as a rookie, Jamal Williams is the starting running back for the Green Bay Packers. They go into the season, not only do they lose Eddie Lacy, they lose James Starks, who was their number two. They cut Kristen Michael, who was kind of promoted to that number two because they didn't have anybody else. They're going into the season with Ty Montgomery, and he was a converted wide receiver during the middle of last season. Receiver from Stanford, converted to running back. That's their, quote, veteran experience at the position. So it's Ty Montgomery, a converted wide receiver, and they drafted three guys. Jamal Williams, the first, he was in the fourth round, and Aaron Jones from UTEP and Devontae Mays from Utah State. So really they're banking on at least one or two of these rookies to have a good camp, learn the playbook, and be ready to contribute because we've seen Ty Montgomery do it. He averaged 5.9 yards a carry last year when he did convert to running back, so he can do it. He's a really good player and had a huge game late in the season against the Chicago Bears when the Packers were basically in win-or-go-home mode when Aaron Rodgers said they had to run the table, and frankly, they, they did that, as it turns out. But Montgomery can play, but still part of me wonders whether or not he's just more of a like a gadget guy that you can move around and exploit different matchups. Maybe he's best suited as like a running back receiver hybrid and like a third down running back kind of role. Specifically with Jamal Williams, that's perfect because Jamal Williams could be the you know first and second down banger. He can protect the passer, as Reno Mahe pointed out to us via him on our airways, and that was one of the first things he brought up was how great he is in pass protection. I have a vision of a Jamal Williams on early downs, Ty Montgomery on third downs, and I think that's a perfect fit for those two. It fits both their skill sets pretty ideally. Marcus Eversall, Sports Talk personality at WDZ in Green Bay on BYU Sports Nation. We're talking about Jamal Williams and Taysom Hill and how they fit 
with the Packers. Brady Papinga, who you mentioned you talk to quite often, was adamant that if given the chance, Jamal Williams, he thinks, will have over 1,000 yards rushing in his rookie campaign. That kind of took Jeremy and I by surprise. What is the likelihood, if he's given the opportunity to be the first and second down back, that he goes for over 1,000 yards rushing in a pass-heavy offense led by the great Aaron Rodgers? Well, the first thing I'd bring up is, like you just said, the pass-happy offense with Aaron Rodgers. I mean, Eddie Lacy would be running hard, and he'd be averaging five yards a carry. Then you look at the box score at the end of the game, and the guy carried the ball 14 times, and everybody's scratching their heads like, okay, why? If you win the game, nobody questions it, whether Rodgers throws 50 passes and you run at 14. But you do start questioning it if you lose the game, you know, and Rodgers is throwing a bunch and you're barely running the ball, and it was effective. There were times when Eddie Lacy was banging away, having a great game, and the Packers would shy away from that. I understand it because you have Aaron Rodgers, and I'll never second-guess a team for just handing the ball to number 12 and saying, go win, go do your thing. Plus, he has all the freedom at the line of scrimmage where if he doesn't like a front that he's seeing or like the defense he's looking at, he'll change the play and he'll get him into whatever he wants him to get him into. But if they do give Jamal Williams the ball, listen, let's not act like the Packers don't run it at all. I mean, look at what Eddie Lacy did when he came in. As a rookie, Aaron Rodgers got hurt in November and missed basically half the season with the broken collarbone. So for the first time in, frankly, my lifetime watching the Packers, the offense was built around the running back because they didn't have a Favre or a Rodgers at quarterback for half that year. Lacey, as a rookie, racked up almost 1,200 yards and 11 touchdowns. The next year, he had basically the same thing, 1,100 yards. So if you if you establish yourself as an every-down back, or at least the primary running back on first and second down, you're going to be getting that 10 to 15 carries every game. I wouldn't be shocked to see Jamal Williams. I don't know, maybe, maybe it's a little too high hopes for him as a rookie to go over 1,000 yards. Maybe that's a little bit of the Brady Papinga BYU to Green Bay factor <laughs> talking there. But he, Brady knows better than I do, and I'll take his word for it. I've, he was pumping up both Jamal Williams and Taysom Hill to the Packers before it actually happened. Both those things happened. So who would I be to second-guess Brady if he says that Jamal Williams could go for 1,000 yards as a rookie? Marcus, whatever you do when you get Jamal Williams on your air or you're doing an interview with him, just ask him to do shout-outs with Jamal. You'll thank me later. <laughs> okay. Okay, I can do that. If you have four <laughs> extra minutes, yeah, do it. Okay. Good stuff. Marcus, we appreciate the time, man. We'll talk to you again soon. Awesome. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. You got it. Marcus Eversall on the Deseret First Credit Union Hotline. Deseret First, your values, your timeline, your financial future. I forgot, and this was made evident. Um, Jamal Williams will not have a single yard. He'll have many yards. Yeah, yards. He'll have. He could have up to a thousand yards for the Packers. Yeah, it'll be a great season <laughs> for the Pack. Goal, Pack, goal. Our Twitter I'm question Minnesota. today: It's Wisconsin. Just make that clear. Has nothing to do with football, but rather basketball. With the Love addition it. of Jasheer Hardnett to the BYU basketball roster, what are your expectations for next year's BYU hoops backcourt? Answer that with the hashtag BYUSN. Coming up. Ten things that felt shorter than last night's BYU baseball game. (laughs) Trent Pratt, assistant coach, live in studio to discuss that marathon of a game. His interview will be short. Welcome back, sports friends. Spencer Linton and Jerem Jordan in Radio Vision live on BYU Radio, simulcast on BYU TV. We are on demand anytime, anywhere. Marcus Eversall. Sports air person or on-air personality for WDUZ in Green Bay just told us what his expectations are for Jamal Williams in his rookie season in Green Bay. Lots of yards, including the fact that 
He thinks Jamal will be the starter on first and second down. Could be. At some point. Could yeah. be. Yeah. yeah. But, he wouldn't be surprised. Because of the situation with Ty Montgomery and they drafted three running backs, Jamal is in a good place. Download the podcast, listen to that whole conversation. Refreshing today's BYUSN headlines. The Batcats fall in 13 innings, a marathon against the University of Utah, 7-6. to six. Josh Rose for the Utes hit a sacrifice fly in the 13th to give Utah the lead, and ultimately they snapped the Batcats' nine-game winning streak, but it's back to work in the West Coast Conference. Final homestand for BYU when they host Portland starting tomorrow night, 8 Eastern on BYU TV, BYU Radio, and the Apps. Day two at the NBA Combine for Eric Mika. ESPN quoted one unnamed NBA executive who said, I would like to see him go back and work on extending his range. We think that it's Danny H. I'm just kidding. <laughs> he still has college eligibility if he withdraws his name by May 24th. Final home game of the regular season for 20th-ranked BYU softball resulted in a win against in-state foe Utah State 4-1, to completing the second undefeated season at home in program history. For the Batgirls, McKenna Bowles' scoreless innings pitch streak did end at 57 and two-thirds. Darn it! But BYU has won 21 in a row. The Cougars finished the regular season with a trio of games at St. Mary's and Moraga starting on Friday. Giving up a run, unacceptable. And an update from the NCAA Women's Golf Regional in Lubbock, Texas. BYU in eighth place at 18 over. They are eight strokes back of UCLA for sixth place. The top six... Advance individually, Alex White leading the way for the Cougars at in sixth place at two under. And joining us now, thankfully, after a five-hour marathon baseball game, is energy. assistant coach Trent Pratt. Yeah, he needed a few of those uh, to get through that BYU-Utah contest. Uh, Trent, welcome to Studio B, man. Yeah, Trent. Good to be here. What's the toughest thing about coaching in that type of 13-inning game? Oh, man, I think just those emotions of the game. I mean, that was up and down. You get a lead, you give it up, you know, then you take the lead again. I think that's the biggest thing is just the emotions of the game and just the back and forth. What was the emotion like in the locker room after that? Because you want to beat Utah, yet you're exhausted, probably, physically, emotionally. <laughs> I think I sit in the locker room and I told Coach Littlewood, I go, I don't I really want to go anywhere. I just kind of want to just sit here for a while. I don't, feel, I don't feel like getting my keys. I don't feel like getting in the shower. I don't feel like doing anything right now. I just want to, I just want to sit here. You came from there, I think. You were still sitting yeah. at Miller Park, and then you walked over here, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you need to decompress after a crazy game like that. Um, what did Utah do to cause you problems last night that ultimately resulted in a win for them? Um, I think the re- relievers that came in threw the ball really good. I mean, we had chances, and, man, they made a couple big pitches that – they got them out of jams. And likewise, I mean, we got ourselves in some jams too, and our guys did a great job making big pitches. It was just one of those things where it's going to come down to, hey, well, someone's going to get a big hit, someone's going to make a big pitch, and that's who's going to win the game. And unfortunately, it was, it was them. You have Portland coming up uh, tomorrow and this weekend. So how quickly do you shed this result, or does it stick in your craw a little bit because it's Utah? Oh, it's over. So, it's over. <laughs> it was over right when you walk out the door. I mean, you might feel bad for a little bit after the game, but – Man, once you walk out the door, it's over. And I was up early this morning working on the finishing the Portland scouting reports and getting ready for tomorrow. That's the wonderful thing about baseball, too, is, hey, we got more games, man. Let's go. Yeah, it's not like football. You don't don't have to wait a week. week. We'll wait a day and come back and play. (laughs) Beautiful. (laughs) Top 10 nationally, BYU is in batting average, run scored, and slugging percentage. What has led BYU to becoming this consistent offensive power? We got good players. I know. At the end of the day, it's, it's not coaching. You have to have good players. 
you know, if you have bad players, it doesn't matter how good a coach you are, you're not going to win. <laughs> <laughs> we have good players. We got guys that work hard and, man, are really talented. And they put in a ton of time, and it shows on the field. You are the hitting instructor. So how have you helped shape uh, a mindset and a better plate approach this year? Last year it was good. This year it's even better. I think it, we got some guys that are back from last year. I think that's the big thing, and that approach just carried over. You know, we had some guys that maybe struggled early that are, are going really good right now. So I think that's the big thing, it's just guys that are back, and they bind to that approach, and young guys watch the older guys, and I think that culture just kind of breeds every year. As the hitting instructor, could you step in, let's say, against, I don't know, Maverick Buffo and teach him a thing or two? I don't know. I wasn't a very good hitter. Maybe that's, probably, that's why I'm coaching now. I couldn't really hit. So, What are your thoughts on the rally caps from last night? Because those were almost as impressive as the game. Yeah, what do you think about them when that's happening? Dude, it's crazy. I don't see them during the game. Like, I, until I looked at Twitter last night, I saw them and was like, man, I think they're awesome. I'm looking at them right now, and it's like, <laughs> I think it's great. I think that's one thing great about college baseball. I watch college baseball games, and and they kind of show things in the dugouts. That kind of what separates it from the big leagues. It's, man, guys have a ton of fun. And I think, it, I think it's great. Maverick, when did Maverick start this? Like, and why is he the guy that's donning <laughs> catcher gear backwards with upside-down glasses? You know, and... he's really upped his game because it used to be just stack the hats. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I guess that got old. That wasn't good enough. So, I mean, I don't know why he's the guy. Maybe he's just the goofball that he thinks of it and <laughs> – or he's the one that dares to do it. I mean, who really knows? I'll have to ask Mav that today. You've been in the game a long time. <laughs> have you ha- encountered someone with a better name than Maverick Buffo? Like, that's up there, right? Oh, it's got to be in, definitely in the top five. Off the top of my head, I don't know if I can think of a better one. That is such a great that's baseball amazing. name. Amazing. It's a great name altogether. Yeah. 19 wins now in the last 23 games, even after last night's loss, which is a remarkable run in a sport that is as delicate as baseball when it's inches and bounces. What changed for this team when the Cougars were 10 and 11, one game under 500? You know, it's tough to say. I think we had a couple guys early that, that offensively that struggled. I think we always knew we were good. And we were talking as coaches the other day. We were like, man, we know we're really good. I don't know if those guys believe it yet, but even when we were 10 11, it didn't feel like no one really panicked. It wasn't like, oh, man, we're in big trouble. It, we just expected it to happen. And once you got Tanner and Colton Shaver and those guys, you know, doing what what we all know they can do, that kind, of, uh, that, that kind of flipped it, especially offensively of us scoring runs and getting going a little bit. Those two guys, when they started turning the corner, I mean, we started to roll a little bit. What's the latest with Kyle Dean? You know, I'm not sure. I know that his back was sore. I haven't heard today, so we'll find out tonight and tomorrow. How much does that affect your roster and lineup when you have a guy that was swinging a red-hot bat and – in my opinion, is an underrated center fielder who does a really solid job out there. So how much did that shakeup affect you yesterday and, and moving forward? I think it shakes up a little bit. But, you know, the best thing is we got guys that are just ready to play. You know, it's, you can't worry about that. Hey, you know, like the Patriots, next man up. You know, one guy goes down, hey, the next guy's ready to play. And you see the great job Nate Favero's been doing. You know, Bronson's been playing left field. Mm-hmm. Luckily, we got guys that are just good baseball players that we can move guys around. It, you know, it shakes up the lineup a little bit. But at the same time, it's – Man, not something you can worry about. We can't control it. So the next guy, step in and get ready to play. You've been a part of some intense rivalries. You played at Arizona State and Auburn, so Arizona and Alabama there. Now BYU-Utah. How does BYU-Utah compare to some of those rivalries? Because I know those are pretty intense. Yeah, and it's up there. Um, It's definitely up there. The Auburn-Alabama rivalry, 
that was different. There was a lot of hatred there. <laughs> I remember, man, my, my last year, we got walked off the field two nights in a row at Alabama. Oh. And you, you, once you finally get out of the field after everyone yelling at you as you walk off the field. And then when you go through the gate, they're waiting for you outside the gate, too, lining the bus. So it, it can be the fans. The fans, yeah. Yeah, they don't like us too much. So, but it's fun. You know, last night, I mean, I love the BYU Utah rivalry. I and mean, that was a great game. Um, the coaches there are great guys. We have a good relationship with them. So, man, it's just great. And that game last night, I mean, all the games we play, it seems like they've played a lot of close games with them. So it's a lot of fun. Should BYU have something like War Eagle? We got Go Cougs. Go Cougs. Don't we have that? Yeah, yeah, kind of. that's there. Yeah. That's there. Rise like, up. Like, like more of a like if you you're in the middle of nowhere, you see another BYU fan. It's like I think it's Go Cougs. Yeah. And then the Washington State fans like what? Yeah. So, <laughs> Houston like huh? We we <laughs> just got to get it going. We just got to get going. Okay. I know to this day if I'm somewhere I, where I had an Auburn shirt on, I'd be in any airport and someone yelled War Eagle. War Eagle. Yeah, it happened. Pretty crazy we stuff. We just got to keep it going to BYU. Yeah. That one's just been around longer. I wish we had a TV show to like promote. Yeah, I know. Idea. Shoot. Like, I wish. <laughs> we should work wish. on that. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll figure too, it out at some too point. Too bad. Maybe that's your guys' fault. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Probably. We should probably take some of that accountability and responsibility. Trent, great to talk to you. For what it's worth, I know you don't have it now, but you still to this day have the best mustache that I've ever seen of any man on BYU's campus. That's And that's a shot at Tom Holm. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, BYU back to work against Portland on Thursday. We would like you to sign our stretch wide flag. Let's give you some BYU Sports Wait. Nation karma for that series All against right, the Pilots as well. We're looking for a former Auburn baseball player, <laughs> so we're really happy. You hey, you did it! Jeremy, you found him! Oh, there he is. Trent you Pratt. did it. What are your expectations for BYU basketball and the guards next year? We'll get to some more of your responses coming up. Plus... The top 10 things that felt shorter than last night's 13-inning BYU baseball game. (laughs) You don't want to miss this. (laughs) BYU Sports Nation is presented by the BYU Store, the official outfitter of BYU fans everywhere. Spender Linton and Jerome Jordan live from Studio B, your day-to-day BYU sports play-by-play. Yeah, go Cougs. Go Cougs. Cougs. Watch our daily rebroadcast weeknights on BYU TV at... 6 p.m. Eastern. For our night at 8 Eastern, you can watch or listen on BYU TV, BYU Radio, and the apps. BYU Baseball versus Portlandia. Keep Portland weird. They're in town tomorrow. Final home stand. Thursday, Friday, Saturday, live on BYU TV, BYU Radio, and the app. Go Cougs. Go Cougs. Twitter question, what are your expectations for next year's BYU basketball backcourt? At Twiggy or Stone tweets in, early struggles trying to get comfortable with one another. Should get better by the end of the season. Hit stride in second year. Yeah, it, t- it takes time. It just, it just does. In this era of everything right now, which is fun for the most part, right? Um, you just have to, some things have to grow. Just treat BYU basketball like a plant. Time okay? is. It takes some time. Yeah. Right? And time is a funny thing. It, in fact, it is the operative word of what we're about to do because yeah, BYU baseball thing. took plenty of time last night yeah. against the University of Utah in a five-hour, 13-inning baseball game. So we at BYU Sports Nation have compiled the following list. The top 10 things that felt shorter than last night's marathon 13-inning BYU baseball game. Let's start with number 10, people. Ten Commandments, the movie. Okay. Yeah. We're off and uh, running. Long one. Number nine, reading all seven Harry Potter books. Have you done that, by the way? Yeah. Have you? I have listened to all of oh, them on tape. That's the same. That's good. My, number eight, my four and a half year BYU undergraduate degree. I can get on board for that. Yeah. yeah. Hey, 
That's pretty normal. <laughs> I'm not taking 15 credits a semester. Number seven, BYU's losing streak in football against Utah. Oh, come on. Oh, that one. Come on. Hey. Number six, the NFL draft weekend. It's long. It is. Friday, Saturday. Days. We're discussing the top ten things that felt shorter than last night's 13-inning BYU baseball game. Number five, the extended version of all three Lord of the Rings movies. I love that. It's a, like 11 hours, you know? Too much. Number four, Spencer's argument for the quote-unquote elite Mitch Matthews. That should be higher on this list. Not elite. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, today's BYU Sports Nation show. Yep. Number two, last year's basketball season. Hey, oh, hey, come hey, on, hey. man. It wasn't that long, uh, was it? Uh, yeah. And the number one thing that felt shorter than last night's 13-inning BYU baseball game, countdown to the Vikings. Countdown to the Vikings. 108. That was a long game, man. That was a long. All those, all those things were shorter, seemed shorter. I was so tired after talking for five hours. Yeah. I had a leftover sandwich from Cubby's. Okay. So, like, I got home and I had to, like, I hadn't eaten dinner. I had to will myself to heat that thing up for 40 seconds. I ate it in a daze on my couch. I am not kidding you. I do not remember what happened after that. Next thing I know. You were in Vegas. My wife is waking me up on the couch. You had a tattoo on your face and a missing tooth. I've got... And Mike Tyson... You were sleeping in Mike Tyson's penthouse. Cubby's sandwich sauce on my lip. Like, it was... It was exhausting. It was an exhausting game. I can't imagine how the players felt after going through something like that. Well, luckily, they have no school in the day off. Granted, they didn't have to talk about it for five hours, right? Well, harder to bat or... Is it harder for Maverick Buffo than it is for a broadcaster if he's not pitching or playing? No. He's not doing anything. <laughs> oh, man. Do I have to pick? <laughs> no. Uh, we should give him credit where credit is due. Those rally We've caps. We've given him a lot Yeah, and, and the rally gear was pretty fantastic. We love Maverick Buffa. <laughs> MB. The Ninja Turtle. The Ninja Turtle get up was, was the best. <laughs> <laughs> I had a hard time controlling my laughter on the air when that popped up on the television screen. Especially uh, when you're, you know, delirious. Yeah. <laughs> Everything becomes funny after inning 10, right? Yeah. And, and Gary's Gary. So, yeah. <laughs> Gary, Gary's line, Gary Shidey, his line of the night was when they were intentionally walking, and by they, I mean Utah was intentionally walking one of BYU's players um, to get in a better situation defensively. And he said, Boy, Tanner Thomas is really bringing it 41 on the radar gun. <laughs> <laughs> what a night, man. Oh, my goodness. A, I think Billy Joel wrote a song about that or something. Right? That was really funny. I was like, oh, that's, that's well played, Gary. And then he started talking Classic about Gary. old-time baseball players and side armor guys. And I was like, yeah, we're, we're digging deep hey, in the well, aren't we? <laughs> you have time to fill. We're Listen, digging deep are, in the well. There are only so many repeats of American Ride in the queue. Let's take a ride. <laughs> what are your expectations for next year's BYU basketball backcourt? Let's go to the Twitter machine. You got tweets. At Mr. Underscore Flintstone 94, I expect better perimeter defense. We all do. Consistent team scoring. Consistent team scoring hasn't really been a problem, right? Well, I think what he's referring to uh, is backcourt contribution remember there were games where BYU was scoring nothing off the bench yeah yeah okay so bench scoring would certainly help that consistency bench plus starter yeah. equals team scoring 
The team has potential again, he continues. Hopefully they live up to it. Well, but what is the expectation? It's May 10th. We've got about six months to discuss potential before the start of the regular season. At Pat O'Donnell 80, live and die by the three, just like old times. Well, with Zach Selyus well, coming I, back. I think you live by the three more. That, uh, uh, that will be in play for sure. Yes. At wise underscore guy, more threes, less turnovers, hopefully a little more disruptive defensively. That's been a good formula for BYU in the past. Is there anything that you, else that you would like? More threes, and less turnovers, and a little bit better defensively. But don't you think all three of those things are fair? Like a few less turnovers. Yeah. More threes, led by Zach Selyus, and you get better defensively. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. That happens with experience. Elite tweet nominee. Maybe it is the hashtag elite tweet of the day. We'll tell you that, plus an update in the Cougar Whip Round right after this. BYU Sports Station is brought to you in part by DexterLaw.com for help when you need it most. Thanks to today's guests, Radio Dude in Green Bay, Wisconsin. WDUZ Marcus Eversall had some interesting things to say about Taysom Hill and where he fits in with the Packers and what he's going through right now with Mike McCarthy, the head coach, in their quarterback camps getting him involved in the playbook and all that stuff, and what he expects from Jamal Williams in his rookie campaign. Download the podcast. Also, Trent Pratt didn't have his mustache. It is the greatest mustache I have ever seen, oh, it's maybe there. ever. It's just not out. Yeah, okay? it's, dormant. Not, it's like a volcano. It's still not a volcano. on his lip, but just last year it was. He had a small rodent growing on his upper lip. Amazing. More like Rocket the Raccoon. He's back to work as the assistant baseball coach with Mike Littlewood as the Cougars get back uh, into West Coast Conference play against Portland plus tomorrow on BYU TV. Ten, plus the top ten things that seemed shorter than the BYU baseball game last <laughs> You missed that. But Whitch. if you missed everything else, let's whip it. Whitch. It's time for the Cougar Whip Around Baseball. Batcats fell in 13 innings to Utah, 7-6. Josh Rose hit a sack fly in the 13th to give Utah the lead and snapped the Batcats' nine-game winning streak. Cougars' final homestand is this weekend. Against Portland starting tomorrow night, if Thursday's the weekend, at 8 Eastern on BYU TV, BYU Radio, and the apps. Men's basketball. Day two of the NBA Combine for Eric Mika in Chic, Chicago. Shout out to my dad for that. ESPN quoted one unnamed NBA executive who said, I would like to see Eric go back and work on extending his range. He does still have college eligibility if he withdraws his name from the draft by May 24th. Softball. In the final home game of the regular season, 20th ranked softball beat Utah State 4-1, completing the second undefeated season at home in program history. McKenna Bull's scoreless innings pitch streak ends at 57 and two-thirds. BYU's won 21 in a row now. Whoa! Cougars finished the regular season with a trio of games at St. Mary's against the Fighting Delavadova starting Friday. Golf. Today marks the final day of the NCAA Women's Golf Regional in Lubbock, Texas. BYU's women's team tied for eighth place, 17 over par as a squad. Off to a good start today, five under par. They've got some more room to make up to be in the top six in advance of the NCAA championships. Seven strokes specifically. Some work. Go. Alex White leads the Cougars at two under par overall, which is good for sixth place as an individual. Brooklyn Hawker, four over par, tied for 22nd through eight holes. Cougars in the NFL. Sports Illustrated named one late round or undrafted sleeper for every NFL team for the Patriots. Sports Illustrated picked Harvey Longy. Lions defensive lineman Ziggy Ansah plans to teach American football to children in Ghana. Quote, here oh, in America... There's always football camps or soccer camps. These kids are starting at a young age, and I'm just trying to do the same for my people, end quote. 
Cougars overseas. Brandon Davies had 13 points and 9 rebounds for Monaco in the French League. Cougars in the minors. Jacob Brugman won for four and also walked yesterday in a loss for the triple A loss for the triple A Nashville Sounds against the El Paso Chihuahuas. Lacrosse. Love those names. The top seeded BYU men's lacrosse team lost to Chapman 14 to 5 in the quarterfinals of the MCLA tournament. The team finished the season 15 5 and 1. They won the Rocky Mountain Lacrosse Conference for the ninth volleyball. BYU finishes second in the final off the block media poll. Not a surprise. I always love that, the final poll. Like, who should be one and two? I don't know. Maybe you should go with the teams in the national championship. So I voted Ohio State and Brigham. <laughs> yeah. The writers, yes. Yes, the writers. <laughs> the media. Today's Rise and Shout brought to you by Dexter and Dexter Help when you need it most. DexterLaw.com How about McKenna Bull? 57 and two-thirds innings pitched. Scoreless. Are you serious? That is unbelie- unbelievable. I remember watching McKenna Bowl pitch. It was unbelievable. 180 miles an hour. <laughs> She's awesome, man. You could feel the air move through Gail Miller Field when she whipped her arm around. It was crazy. <laughs> wow. McKenna Bowl, yeah. Thanks, <laughs> thanks Beeler. <laughs> think it's Roxy Bernstein, isn't it? Oh, it is. Yeah, I remember. Roxy. Yeah, because I said who's more valuable to BYU, Kyle Collinsworth, Tyler Huss. <laughs> that, that's like, Roxy. Wow. What are your expectations for next year's <laughs> BYU basketball backcourt? At AJ Andreessen says, great individual improvement. People forget that even Jimmer wasn't the Jimmer we know much of his freshman and sophomore years. Nope. Haas and Emery. Nope. Sophomore year, he averaged 16.2 a game and was first team all conference. Okay. But wasn't Nick Emery first team all conference? As a freshman. And TJ Haas as a freshman? Yeah. So what, that, that's what he's saying. Like, okay, so he's comparable to Jim, but Jimmer got super good after that, right? Not going to be Jimmer. I'm not, not averaging 29 a game. Come on. Room for improvement for sure. Yeah. Our elite tweet of the day, at Laser Sheep. TJ House will be a clear leader this season. I expect him to eat more peanut butter or something in the offseason. All right. Peanut butter jelly time. For Jerem, I am Spencer. Shout out to Dan Vargas.